tired. So tired. Overtired. Hey, Christina, do you want to do the intro this week? I do. Okay. You're listening to Overtired with, with me, Christina Warren, and him, Brett Terpstra. Hey, Brett, how are you? I'm good, Christina Warren. I think you get to start with the health corner this week. How how you doing? Okay, so I'm fine. I I, I can't iterate that enough. I, I I have to be very clear on this because if my mom for some reason listens to this podcast, mom, do not listen to this podcast. This is not the podcast that you need to listen Stop to right now. <laughs> right, but but also just in general, like I love you, mom. But like this is not the podcast for you. But in case my mom or someone listens to this podcast, I have to be very clear. I'm fine. However, I had a little bit of a weird weekend. It is, okay, um, as, as it is in most of the country, and you're going to laugh at this right now because you're in Minnesota where, you know, it, it gets cold and, and snows and, like, that's a normal thing <laughs> and people know how to deal with it. Uh, in parts of the country like Texas, yeah. where I'm not, and uh, uh, the Pacific Northwest, where I, I am living, it's pretty rare that we get what we would call, like, I guess, major kind of winter storm alerts or whatever. And um, for the last three years, I guess this would be the, the third year, there have been some, you know, snow or ice things that have happened in Seattle. I've managed to avoid them because I've been in an Australia when it's happened. But this year I was not in Australia because of the pandemic. So, um it snowed in Seattle over the weekend and it snowed pretty significantly for us. Like we got, you know, I think at peaks, you know, like, like six or seven inches, eight or nine inches in some places, which, um, for Seattle is, is quite a bit, right? Like this isn't going to be, you know, like I, I know that like people in New York and, and, you know, people like you are like, ha seven inches. What like, that's cute. But for this part of the country, that's actually pretty significant. And the infrastructure is not designed to deal with that. They did have plows out in a lot more areas than I was expecting. And they did, you know, have more places that were shoveled and, and were dealt with better than I was expecting. But it was one of those things where I woke up Saturday morning and, you know, I see like white all over like the outside and, you know, the, the building is like sending in you know, memos that they're not going to be in that day because they, they kind of can't get in and places are closed. No one's delivering food at all. And then if places were, um, like nobody really was on, on Saturday. And then if places were like on, on Sunday and, and Monday, it was like much more limited hours and whatnot. Well, I woke up on Saturday morning and I had a bit of a predicament because I wear contact lenses and I was positive, like was positive that I still had some extra pairs of contact lenses. And I woke up and, and one of my contact lenses, I, I sleep in mine. You're not supposed to, well, you can, it's, it's fine, whatever. But like, I, I, I tend to sleep in mine and I woke up and one had fallen out and, um, the other was kind of at that point where I was just like, all right, I'll just, I'll just take it out and, and I'll just put in a new pair. And that was when I made the realization that I don't have any contact lenses, <laughs> which is a problem. So I'm like, shit, what am I going to do? I'm like blind. And I'm like, okay, don't panic. You've got to have another pair that exists somewhere. I do not. So now I really am panicking because 
I don't have a pair of glasses um, that I have access to. If I do have them, I'm not even sure where they are, but the prescription is completely so outdated that, that they would be almost useless. I have no contact lenses. I'm like, I can't see. This is an actual problem. So I start to try to make an appointment someplace um, on my phone, and then I realize you're not going to be able to get anywhere because everybody is closed and places aren't going to be open. What are you going to do? So I did manage to find a pair that were expired and were an older prescription that I put in that were fine for like, you know, temporary. And then I was able to get an appointment at Costco for Monday because, um, my, um, normal, um, Oh, I should back up and say this too. I go to the eye doctor every year, but my optometrist, my ophthalmologist is in Atlanta. And the last time I saw him was on the 26th of December, 2019. I obviously didn't see him in 2020. Um, he writes me a prescription every year. The expression, uh, the prescription is expired. So I can't even like order for rush delivery, you know, like a pair, like I'm like, okay, I had to actually go get an appointment somewhere to get an eye exam. The doctor's office at work didn't have any appointments until March. And so I was like, fine, I'll, I'll go to Costco, uh, and, and have them do it because they have an optometry clinic. Sure. I'll go there. Fine. So I make an appointment for Monday. I go in Monday. I have my eye appointment. Um, I opt not to be dilated, but to pay $30 and have this weird like uh, eye scan thing, which is not supposed to be a replacement for dilation, but is in effect used for it in most cases. And it can take like a 3D picture of all the aspects of your eye. And it's, it's interesting. I was like, fine, I'll do that. And so I go in and I have my exam and she writes me the script and she's in the middle of telling me how great my eyes look. And she's looking at the scan that she took, telling me how great my eyes look. And then she stops and she, the, her whole demeanor changes. She's trying, she's very clearly trying not to freak me out, but I can tell she's kind of freaked out. And she's like, okay, so there's this spot on your eye here. And this is a tear in your retina. Oof. And I'm like, okay. And she's like, yeah, she's like, this is not good. She's like, you need to get this repaired like now. And She's like, and, and at this point it's almost four o'clock in the afternoon and, and I'm, you know, part of me is thinking, I'm like, okay, well I could like go, you know, tomorrow or whatever. She's like, no, you need to, you need to go like now I'm going to make some calls and find a specialist who can see you now. So I get my prescription for my glasses and contacts, fortunately, although I didn't even have a chance to like look at anything. I'd been all excited about being at Costco because I wanted to get a hot dog. And, um, <laughs> I, I was like very excited about this. That's all blown out the window. And she's like, okay, there's like this retinal specialist, like there's, there's this ophthalmologist in Renton, which is, you know, like a good, like 40 minutes away, but whatever. She's like, you need to go there now and they can see you. So I get an Uber, I go to Renton, I check in to see this place. They see me right away. I see the dog I have more scans. I, I am dilated this time. I have like other things done again. And then they look at it and they're like, yep, you have a tear in your retina. And don't worry, it's not super serious, but if this isn't taken care of, um, the the concern is that then this could lead to a, to a detached retina, and that could lead to blindness. And do you have any history, family history of this stuff? And I'm like, yeah, my dad actually is now basically blind in one eye because he had something like he kind of had like a, a 
the equivalent of like a stroke in his eye or something, but he had some sort of, you know, detachment or whatever um, fairly recently. And it's been pretty scary. And so they're like, yeah, well, we, we need to take care of this. And, and um, so we're going to put lasers in your eyes and we're going to take care of this today. I'm like, okay, this is not what I was expecting. And so then uh, they numbed my eyeball and put lasers in my eye and repaired the tear and repaired like another thing. And then I'm going to come back and have like a spot in my left eye. This was in my right eye and have a spot on my, my left eye watched to see um, what's happening. Um, scary, but like not that big of a deal. Well, then I wake up yesterday Tuesday and I'm seeing some floaters, which I hadn't had before. I, I should also say this. I was completely asymptomatic. I had no symptoms at all. No like flashes of light, no floaters that I was seeing. Like there was nothing that was exhibiting itself to me that I would have known that I had a tear in my retina. And, um, so in retrospect, I'm super glad that I ran out of contact lenses and had to make an, <laughs> an emergency appointment because real talk, I probably would have waited until it would be safe for me to travel again to go to my ophthalmologist in Atlanta because I've been seeing him since I was a kid. Uh, he did eye surgery that I had, um, uh, uh, you know, over a, a little over a decade ago. You are weirdly loyal to your healthcare providers. I am. You'll, I am. you'll travel across the country for them. I totally will. <laughs> it's a It's a weird thing. I'm both weirdly loyal and also it's like one of those like, I just don't want to find new people things, right? <laughs> Weirdly loyal like, and lazy. Yes, I was going to say it's both. But but for things like your eyes, like if you have somebody who's literally like been like treating you since you were a kid. and Oh, yeah, and I have like, a guy. Like, I, I know how it yeah, is. Yeah, and like if I'm going to see my parents anyway, like I, I, like I said, I see him every year. This isn't one of those things where I put this off. Like I see him every year. Um, and so... You know, like, 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 like Grant, I think, was trying to kind of understand. I was like, no, I saw him like... 13 months ago like this is not one of those things where like this you know so so this is something that's, that's developed recently right because he clearly didn't see any signs of it even when he was looking at me last um so um I woke up yesterday morning and I was starting to see some floaters and also my eye was hurting and so I called and they said this is normal but you need to like be off of screens for the day I'm like fuck be off of screens for the day like that that is my nightmare <laughs> now it's affecting my life right right well and at this point too like because he told me that i could wear contacts and whatnot but i hadn't put them in because my eye hurt and um like like the laser is not painful but it's not comfortable either um and uh you know sadly you don't get like magic powers but it, it is one of those things where like it yeah it's not a super comfortable thing um, but, but it's not like super painful, but it's also, yeah, it's not super comfortable to like have, you know, something hot and sharp and whatever, like on your eyeball. It's just not. Uh, and so, um, they're like, all right, stay off screens for the day. And if it, if it doesn't, if it persists or whatever, then, then come in, but, but, but take it off. So, um, on Tuesday, I basically had to like, I was very, very, very limited, like, on any screens. I was listening to a lot of podcasts because I'm now in a position where I have, I'm, I'm very nearsighted and this is why my retina, I, I think like I had the tear. It's more common in people who are nearsighted. Um, like it's, it's not something I did. It wasn't, I didn't have any sort of trauma or whatever. It was just one of those like things that just happen. But, um, 
like I'm in this position where I can't see anything more than I don't know five inches in front of my face uh and I can't look at screens and I'm just like this sucks so I was like I guess I can listen to podcasts and Taylor Swift music <laughs> uh you know but it was like one of those things like and it's even one of those things like it, you know it's hard to like walk around even like when you're like this blind this is why I was freaking out on on Saturday when I woke up I was like holy shit like I'm it, this is like an unsafe situation I mean I'm kind of I, I guess in retrospect again like happy that we're in a situation where you know we're not expected to go into work because I don't know how I would get into an office or something you know um with with being able to see the way that I am so now now we're like two days later and my eye is still a little sore but I'm it, it's fine but the floaters seem to have gone away so but you can look I'm at fine. screens now but yeah I I can look at screens now I'm gonna try to be like more limited and like and not be on them like uh, for 16 or 17 hours a day but yeah <laughs> does your prescription so. change much not really. Um, and in fact, like it, so when I saw him a year ago, he wrote me two prescriptions for my contacts and he was like, here's a higher one and a lower one and you can have them both filled. But if you feel like you need the higher one, get it filled. And I didn't, I just had the lower one filled. And then she said the same thing. She was going to give me the higher one. But when she kind of showed both, she was like, well, no, if you can make do with the lower one, which is still, you know, moderately high, she's like, then then do that. Um, don't, don't go up. So it doesn't change very often. Like it has changed over time, obviously, but, but like, you know, it's every, every two years or so, I would say that I probably go up. Huh? My, I, I got my first pair of glasses when I was 12 and it like, I, I had been nearsighted for years and didn't realize that like trees had individual leaves and things like that. Um, right. so I got my glasses, I think I was around 12 and my prescription has not changed since. Wow. I, I'm required to get an eye exam. Uh, mine, uh, mine expire every two years. And in order to keep getting contacts, I have to get an eye exam. But it's pointless because my prescription never changes. What's your prescription? Fuck if I know. <laughs> Why would I know that? I don't know. It's like negative 1.5, but I have no idea 1.5 what. And my, yeah, my I mean, left that, eye is low. worse than my right eye. That's no, ne- I mean, that's low. Yeah. My, mine is, mine is negative six, um, which, uh, is not great, but it's also not like terrible. Like there's some people who are like negative 12, which was like for people who have that, like they need, they have to wear hard contact lenses because or they glasses. have to be so thick. Yeah. But like. <laughs> so I I think we've talked about this before. So so you got glasses when you were twelve. Did you get contacts then too, or how old were you when you got contacts? I don't remember. I think I didn't get contacts till high school. Okay. Um, yeah. So I got contacts when I was eight. Um, wow. I be- yeah. So I basically had glasses for like two days, maybe. So uh, it started when like I was in first grade, and I found out I had to. You know, it was needing to sit in the front of the room to be able to see things. And then my vision was, was slowly, you know, showing that it was worse. And so I went to the doctor and you have to think that in like 1991, um, glasses for kids, well, they still suck, frankly, they still suck, but they really sucked then. Like you had very limited number of frames and 
they were ugly and I hated how they looked and I cried and I was like, I don't want to wear these. And like, I cried on the way home. I think I wore them all of twice for probably 45 minutes. And I was just like, so my mom was like, why can't I just get contact lenses? And she was like, oh, I'm not sure. And she asked the the doctor and he, he put somebody who I think was as young as, as maybe nine or 10 in them. Never, never anybody ate. And he was like, well, if she's responsible enough, if she can, you know, do it in the office, then we'll, we'll let her have them. And I was able to, to do it. And it took me, you know, it used to take me a long time to put them in. And now, I mean, it's, I don't even need a, I haven't needed a mirror in, in years. You know, it was one of those things when like the, um, um, optometrist who was super sweet, um, at the, the Costco clinic, she was asking me, she was like, is there any reason why you sleep in your contacts? And I was like, I've been wearing contacts for 30 years. I have bad habits. She's like, no, it's fine. You, you change them more frequently if you do that. But you know, like, because these are rated a certain way or whatever, but she was like, it's fine. I was like, yeah, I was like, I should probably, you know, take better care of things or whatever, but you know, I've never had any issues. And, and, and for the record, the terror of my retina had nothing to do with, with my like regime sure. of, of my contact lenses. Um, because I did ask about that. I was like, did I do anything for this? She was like, no, she was like, you could get like an eye ulcer or some other stuff, which I did have once. And, and that was enough for me to be like, no, I'll, I'll take better care of like my, my, t- my contact lens health. But at this point, like I've been wearing them for, you know, like so much of my life that, um, I, I should get LASIK now that I've had like one laser in my eye. Now I'm kind of like, well, fuck it. I should just get the, get the whole thing done. Um, we have dedicated 20 minutes of our show to eye health. Yes. We should be sponsored by, a maybe, uh, what's that? Uh, Bausch and Loam. Who yeah. Makes, yeah. Who makes contact? Bausch and Loam. Bausch and Loam or, or, um, uh, who is it? Uh, uh, Oasis is, is, uh, is, is the brand name of, of, whoever I do it. But yeah, Bosch, Bosch and Loam or somebody else should definitely sponsor us. This week's episode brought to you by two people who sleep in their contact. I sleep in mine for uh, generally a month at a time. And then I'll take them out and let them soak for a day or two. And I'll wear glasses. And then I'll put the same pair back in for another month. And I change my contacts like every two months. And I'm honest with this uh, about this with my doctor. And yeah. And he basically is like, your eyes look fine. Your your eyes are in great shape. I really, I don't endorse the way you treat them, but you, it, it's not causing you any problems. So carry See, on. Right. Yeah, exactly. This has been my scenario as well. So, uh, but again, anyone listening, we're not doctors. We've made that pretty clear. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, we have. But, uh, but who are we really sponsored by this week? Oh, well. Uh, let's start with, uh, with some, some cat litter. Um, so I, this morning was yoga, uh, at home, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, the kitten bod, uh, had, she, she was having a very wild morning, like tearing around <laughs> the house, jumping up on things, attacking toes and just going nuts. And she had started to calm down by the time yoga started. And like all through, like we uh, in forest yoga, you do a lot of ab work. Um, so all through abs, while I'm on my back, she's sitting on my chest just watching me. And then we went straight into bridge and she fell asleep 
<laughs> she's just like sleeping on my chest all the way through bridge. It was pretty hilarious. Um, but anyway, Bot is awesome. She, she really is. So, oh, wh- while we're talking about cat, so Valentine's Day would have been Finnegan's birthday. So that was kind of a a, a, a hard one. Yeah, it was it was rough for us, but I I re- it made me fully cognizant that Bod has has brought me joy in a in a place that would have been really sad. So, uh rest in peace Finnegan. Uh we also got Bod spayed the day before Valentine's Day. <laughs> so she was groggy and I was seriously concerned that something horrible was going to happen. But it didn't. And and this morning was proof that she survived. Anyway, one of the great things about cats is that you don't have to let them out in the fucking cold or right. take them for walks in the in cold. The fucking cold, right. <laughs> but the downside of that is that they poop inside your house and uh, and they don't know how to use a toilet. So you end up cleaning a litter box. So question for you, what if there was a way to have an odor-free litter box that was easy to clean and automatically replaced every month? And what if it was leak-proof and made from entirely recycled material and itself was recyclable as well? That's what Kitty Poo Club does. Kitty Poo Club is an all-in-one litter box solution designed to be convenient for you. Every month, Kitty Poo Club delivers an affordable, high-quality, recyclable litter box that's pre-filled with the litter of your choice. And as I've mentioned before, I I chose the soy-based litter because hippies... And uh, it, it, it has been like I have had the, the same litter out for a full month and it does not smell at all, like at all. So I am really impressed with this particular litter. I haven't tried the non-toxic silica litter, but if it's anything like this soy-based litter, it, their, their promise of a, an odor-free litter box is valid. Um, and Bod, who we were just talking about, she, she loves it too. We, you're supposed to have one more litter box than you have number of cats. Okay. So we have three. So, so you're supposed to have three. Yes. So we have three litter boxes. Only one of them right now is a kitty poo club box. Bod almost always picks the kitty poo club litter. She loves it. Um, I, I don't. Yeti. Yeti, uh, maybe it's a territory thing, but Yeti, Yeti likes the one that I, it, I, we have a smallish house. And so with three litter boxes, one of them almost has to be in my bedroom. And I didn't get the kitty poo club box in my bedroom. Elle got that one in her bedroom. Um, because we have separate bedrooms because you have, it is so nice. I never had that when I was married. We always shared a bed. And it turns out I really don't like sleeping with other people. So anyway, side tangent. But <laughs> that is the dream, to be totally honest. Separate bedrooms, I, I'm a huge fan of that. It is when, when, so when nice. Do that. It is so nice. It, the side, side, side tangent, Bod tends to sleep with me and she curls up in the crook of my knee. And one of the beauties of sleeping in your own bed is you can fart. Like, it's okay to fart. (laughs) Bod, however, hates farts. She (laughs) bites my butt if I fart. 
<laughs> like through the blanket, she will bite me. It's it's pretty hilarious. And then I crack up. But anyway, these boxes are leak proof, eco friendly and have a fun design for every season. When the month is up, you just recycle the box and Kitty Poo Club automatically delivers a brand new one. Uh, no changing used litter and you might even be able to get away without cleaning the litter at all. You can cut the reason that we do clean our litter is because the dog eats the poop and we don't want the dog uh, eating the poop. No. So other than that, honestly, it it I if you don't have a dog that eats poop, yeah, you can get away without cleaning your litter at all. Uh, and you can customize your order based on how many cats you have and what type of litter they prefer. And Kitty Poo Club has a no risk guarantee, so you can easily customize or cancel any time. Right now, Kitty Poo Club is offering you, our loyal listeners, 20% off your first order when you set up auto ship by going to kittypooclub.com and entering promo code OVERTIRED. So if you love your cat, but you hate the litter, that's kittypooclub.com and promo code OVERTIRED. I just made like a five minute read out of that too. That's awesome. We're moving slowly today. We're already halfway through the show. And we haven't even talked about Taylor Swift's new album yet. I know, which is important. I mean, this is, above all else, a Taylor Swift podcast. It is a Taylor Swift podcast. Occasionally a Britney Spears podcast, apparently, but also also Taylor. uh, Yes, a follow-up on that. Uh, Elle sent me a really nice DM this morning that I haven't had a chance to respond to, but I will because of the I thing, um, because she had thoughts about it, which were really thoughtful, <laughs> that I'm going to respond to. So I told you she thank was you, Elle. thoughtful. She definitely is. So thank you, Elle, for that, because I appreciate it. Like <laughs> She she told me, she's like, I like Christina doesn't have to make good on her like uh, talking about like having an in-depth conversation with me but but she does have thoughts i love that and i'm very appreciative (laughs) of that to be totally honest because i'm thinking a lot about it so taylor swift is re-recording all of her old music i thought are you i thought ryan adams already did that for her (laughs) but um bump (laughs) so so again this is like second time around yeah speaking of problematic faves um wait tell me what i don't i don't know about this Oh, oh, you, oh, he got canceled hard. Oh, wow. Uh, so he, um, so, you know, uh, uh, Phoebe Bridgers? No. She's great. She's, you would like her. She's really good. She came forward that he like started grooming her when she was like really young and like taking advantage of her and like basically kind of like held albums and stuff. She was working on hostage and other women came forward about abusive behavior Mandy Moore, his ex-wife, came forward and was like, yeah, he was, like, an emotionally abusive, like, asshole when we were married that also, like, held some of her albums and and art stuff hostage. Like, some underage girl, it's, it's unclear if he knew she was underage or not, like, came forward about, like, their relationship and, and, um, uh, sexting stuff and whatnot, um, yeah. Yeah, wow. he got canceled hardcore. I totally missed that. Yeah. So, um it's a problem. I mean, it's terrible like what he did, obviously. And then he like released some like pseudo apology thing and then he 
it happened right before he was supposed to release like two albums in a year. And those were obviously shelved, although he has his own record label. So, you know, he can do his own kind of thing, but you know, his, his touring and all that stuff was out. And then he did actually release the, the album. And he was just kind of, it was, it was written beforehand and and he released, you know, an apology, but it's not clear if that's going to be enough or not. I don't know. It's, um, he's always been one of my favorite artists. That doesn't so, sound like the kind of thing you can apologize away. That no. sounds like the kind of thing that I 100% think someone should, should be canceled for. Yeah, no, I agree. And the difficult thing then becomes like, it's the whole, like, you know, like art versus artist thing. And, and I, I can't pretend like I don't still enjoy and have like good emotional memories of his past work, but it is also one of those things where I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to listen to his new stuff, you know? And even the past stuff is unfortunately now tinged with this, yeah, with this weirdness, which is unfortunate. But like I, you know, obviously don't condone or support anything that he did. But yeah, it's really unfortunate, um, uh, mostly for the for the women who had to suffer. Like, yeah. See, I just thought of a perfect segue to our second sponsor. I'm gonna hold on to it. Oh, because, you wash because, wash it away. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. But anyway. We'll get back to that. So Taylor is is re-recording old stuff because she already put out two albums this year and right. thought, you know what, let's let's keep going and just start from the beginning and do right. it all again. Exactly. Well, it's that. And um, so her masters have now been sold twice. I think we've talked about this before. So she was with uh, a record label called Big Machine um, Records that that was I think she was the first artist they signed that she signed with when she was 15 years old and she was with them, um, for her first six albums. So, uh, her self-titled fearless speak now read 1989 reputation. And, uh, and yes, I did just like rattle that off the top of my head without even having to think about it, which is really sad. Um, and so it's sad, but um, not surprising. This is true. So she, uh, those first six albums were with, with that label and she'd wanted to own her own masters. And, and by owning that, like she's the songwriter on her, on all of her songs. Uh, sometimes she's the sole song- songwriter, but she's at least like one of them, like on all of them. And so she owns her publishing, meaning that she gets control over who can license the song and she gets paid every time, like a, a fee every time, you know, a song is played or, or covered or whatever sure. um, as the songwriter, but the mechanical recording, of like the song itself, the master recording, the music video, uh, the album art, like all that stuff belongs to belong to the label, which is fairly common. She wanted to own her masters and she claims that she was never given an opportunity to own her masters. Um, instead, what she was given was kind of an idea, which was, okay, if you re up and re-sign another deal with us, because a- after her initial deal had expired for each new album, you give us, we'll give you the masters back on an old album. Um, and, <laughs> and she was like, but, but, but I don't want that. I just want to buy them outright. And, and the, the, the CEO, the, the owner of the record label, he wanted to sell the record label and she knew that was going to happen. Why she didn't buy the record label outright. I'm not sure. She claims she was not ever given the opportunity to buy her masters outright. There's dispute about that, but he then sold the record label to someone and not just anyone, but someone who Taylor, has beef with someone who Taylor very much dislikes. And this 
obviously made Taylor very, very, very upset. So Taylor came forward with a statement. Uh, this was like in, in, in 2019 when, when like this was revealed that, you know, how, how like, you know, like destroyed she felt by it, how upset she was by it and, and really started advocating for artist rights. And then was basically kind of like, okay, and starting, you know, next year I can re-record all of my music because, um, you know, you have to like the clause in, in, in her contract basically said, uh, you know, you can re-record after if it's been, you know, at least five years or, or whatever. So for her first five albums, she was like, I, you know, enough time will have passed that I, that I can re-record, you know, um, my, my first five albums or whatever. And I, and I'm going to do that because I, I don't want this, this guy, Scooter Braun to get money and own my work. He's still going to own the masters and own my music videos and, and things that are really personal to me, but I, I don't want them profiting off of this. Well, that kicked off a back and forth and people were, you know, people on both sides were, were, were saying stuff. And then over the summer, um, right before she released Folklore, it came out that Scooter Braun sold her masters. So not the whole label, but her masters to Shamrock Holdings, which is like a, a um, private equity firm for $335 million, which was like the same amount that he paid for the entire record label. So he'd, he'd gotten funders because he doesn't have that kind of cash to buy the record label for over $300 billion. And then he sold just her masters for more than that um, to this, the Shamrock Holdings. And at first she was like, I talked with Shamrock. They were really supportive. I liked working with them, but he's still going to get a cut of some stuff for a period of time. And I don't want him getting anything from anything that I do. So I'm still going to go forward and re-record everything. So she announced last week as kind of a surprise, the, the first, uh, the release date for her first, like kind of fully re-recorded album, which is her second album, Fearless, that she won album of the year for, and a re-released um, version of Love Story, Taylor's version, which was her first international number one. And uh, it's good. All right. It's good. All right. Um, it, I, Frank, Frank, our, our friend, grumpy Frank, he, yep. uh, he, he, he DM'd me to let me know there was, uh, there was new stuff that I, I should, I should check out. And I didn't because I, I got other stuff to do. Um, totally. but, uh, but yeah, I, I didn't realize what it was at all until just now that 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 was what was going on. That's, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. And and um, the the way that she's doing it, I mean, obviously, she wants them to sound as close to the originals as possible sure. because um, that's the whole point. Right. Because yeah. because really the whole point of this is, I think, to, is to to lessen the value of the originals, which will always have value. Uh, and I think that her goal would be long term would be, OK, make this so that she can sell the sync rights, which would be like meaning like the, the, the rights to be used in, in, in TV or movies or whatever, yeah. um, uh, for these new ones. Cause she'll, she'll approve that. She won't approve the old version. She'll approve the new ones. Um, make it valuable enough for the new ones, devalue the originals to the point where maybe Shamrock will be willing to sell them to her for, I don't know, a hundred million dollars in a few years or whatever, right? Like that they'll, they won't see it as an appreciating asset, but as, as depreciating because sure. she is, is doing this other stuff. Um, so it, it sounds really similar, but also her voices has gotten a lot better. So it, it sounds, 
it's actually interesting to listen to the two side by side because the instrumentation is richer, although it's, you know, similar. Um, she got many of the same people who, who were on the original to record with her on the new one. Um, but her voice sounds better and, uh, it's just like a more full sound. Um, it's really interesting. It's to, to listen to it, how it like sounds exactly like the old song, but also different. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's good. I'm super, super excited to hear the rest of her catalog as that comes out and what she's going to do when she releases fearless it'll be out on, on in april 9th um is that she has uh six additional songs that were from her vault that she'd never like recorded Ooh, before bonus tracks exactly exactly and so um the 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 music video or i guess i should say like lyric video she did was actually really sweet because like love story is like probably like it, it was her first really really big hit and and it's it's the one that like she always performs and has updated a couple of times make more like a more modern twist like for 1989 like she made like kind of a synth pop kind of variant of it and whatnot and um she didn't do that for this re-recording like she very much kept like the banjo and like the 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 um uh you know um slide um a guitar and and stuff like that uh in it but uh the the fiddles and and, and violins and whatnot but um she um made a lyric video that because like it's one of her most iconic music videos. And one of the sad things about this, and what I have to imagine makes her like feel violated is that, you know, okay. So you're like 18 years old or whatever. When, when this album comes out, when you start to work on this stuff for it, your, your first, her first albums, like they are in essence, kind of like her photo albums and like her, her memories. Right. And all of that belongs to somebody else. So, that has to be kind of shitty to be like, okay, all this stuff that was my work, that was my art or whatever belongs to someone else. I don't have any ownership of it. And beyond that, like, because my songs are my diaries, this does feel like my life, which is now, you know, under someone else's control. So the lyric video, I, I now I'm a sap and I'm a huge Taylor Swift stan. And we all know this, but I did actually kind of like tear up because it's all photos of her with fans, like from the very early part of her career which yeah. was was really sweet so she was like kind of saying like the love story you know is is with her and her fans which is really sweet um and i thought it was a nice way for them to address the you know music video thing because it's like how do you, you can't recreate that music video it's one of those iconic things where you know she like you know was in this you know corset and and did this like this cotillion thing and like you know meets this dreamy looking guy and in, in the um you know woods or whatever and you know, it's, it's, it's this very romantic fairy tale, like, like an 18 year old's idea of romance sort of thing. Right. Like it's, it's like not a realistic thing, but it's, you know, very much like of that era. Like you can't recreate that. You wouldn't want to recreate that, but to have, you know, the, the photographs and like some video footage of, of home movies and stuff, you know, of, of her from that era was really sweet to see. Um, and, uh, what's also great for her because, she's a freaking genius is that she gets to resell this now. So people like me are going to buy an album that they bought 12 years ago, like multiple <laughs> copies of, cause she's releasing it on vinyl on gold vinyl, which obviously I'm getting. And then I'm, I you know, went ahead and I'm going to get like the, the CD or the iTunes or whatever. And, you know, also, you know, they can re-release the songs to radio. They can put it on Spotify playlists. Like she gets to double dip 
the same way, you know, artists like do like remastered box sets or whatever, yeah. except this, this feels better than that because it's like, oh no, these are re-recorded and it's for a purpose. Right. So like the, the fans like me are like, oh no, but see, we need to buy this and we don't feel taken advantage of the way you sometimes do when like an artist re-releases a box set of stuff. Cause you're like, oh no, see, cause this is now really Taylor's. Now she gets a hundred percent of the money instead of just 70%. It's like. When you take an application and you rewrite it with modern underpinnings and then add a couple new features and then you can sell it all over again with an upgrade price. Yes. See, I made this make sense to me. You did. You did. <laughs> anyway, so that that's the Taylor Swift news. I, I, I encourage you to listen to the new version at some point. It's actually, I would be interested in your perspective. Like, and, and Love Story is not going to be one of your favorite songs. When 1989 is redone, like, that'll be the interesting one, because I would love to, like, hear, like, how she's able to, to compare that. But I would like from you, from, like, somebody who's a musician, like, for you to, like, listen to the two versions side by side. I'd be interested in your, like, analytical take from that, because I do actually think that's interesting now, too, to be able to, like, I was listening to the two versions side by side, and I was like, this is actually really interesting to hear the subtle differences in the instrumentation as well as just how our voice has changed and, and improved. All right. I, I, I solemnly swear that I, I will, I will do that. And I will offer thoughtful, thoughtful analysis as a, uh, an appreciator, but not a fan, uh, uh someone who can look at it without any <laughs> emotional attachment. I was going to say, I was going to say, no, that this is why I'm asking you because like, I think that would be like good. Cause I can't pretend that I, I am like not a fan. Like I can try to be objective, but I'm not objective. So I, I would be interested in, in your perspective. Uh, before we go into our, our next sponsor read, I just want to know from you, what artist of yours would you like to hear them like maybe re-record their catalog? Like, you know, with the with the advent of time, you know, like maybe with like their uh, more, you know, like if their voice has gotten better or their or their skills have gotten better, is like they're an artist that you would like to hear them re-record or or reattempt a classic album is it okay if it would be impossible to do yeah of course elliot smith yeah yeah like most of most of the music i like that is old enough to be worth re-recording i wouldn't want them to because i love the classic sound and there's yep. you know i pull up these old albums because i want to hear the way they used to sound yes totally Elliot Smith, though, his music was so brilliant and his evolution was just beginning. It was. And and, you know, whatever the circumstances around his death, it seems a little murky, but it does. It uh, does. But regardless. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it, I would be very curious to see if he re-recorded some of his best music now, what that would be like. Speaking of dead musicians. Um, I, so I was talking with my friend, Jeff Severns Gunsel the other day, actually yesterday. And, and we were talking about throwing away old records and like, I basically, my entire vinyl collection, I, I let go of except for two records, uh, two seven inch records, one of my band and one of a band called man afraid that I just loved. And the lead singer had committed suicide, uh, while I was still living in Minneapolis and it was a sad story. And I still listened to this album with like a tinge of, of melancholy and, and sadness, but 
turned out, I, I, I mentioned it to Jeff and he was like the lead singer of that band actually introduced two of the most important people in my life. Uh, and like this, this band, the members of this band had been pivotal to his life and his career. And it wow. was this weird, weird correlation, I guess. Like we both lived in Minneapolis around the same time. And uh, yeah, anyway, let's get back to female musicians because I have something to say. But first, say Ryan Adams name. Ryan Adams. Speaking of Ryan Adams and things you need to wash off. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or, or alternative segue. You know what the best way to shake it off is? With a shower? Yes. Um, so this week's episode is also sponsored by Nebia by Moen. And they make this shower that uh, it uses 45% less water than even uh, low flow shower heads, but provides twice the coverage. And they were kind enough to send both Christina and I uh, shower heads. And uh, I installed mine. I used to be a plumber. Okay, I was a plumber's apprentice. But the installation was super easy for me. But I'm curious... You, Christina, did you find it pretty simple to install? Yes. And I should be very clear. I am not a plumber. I am not good with tools. I am not somebody who like likes that sort of thing. Um, you know, Grant has tools, uh, but uh, I, I tried to do it as much myself as I could. And um, honestly, it was it was remarkably easy to install. And uh, as a so. The cool thing about it for me is that the it's it's on this like 25 inch uh, up and down arm and you can just mm -hmm. slide the head up and down and tilt it up and down, like angle the head so you can get it exactly where you want it at any point in your shower. I, and I love that. But I'm curious, as a woman with hair. Yeah. Does that is that like is that convenient for you? Yeah, no, it was really, it's really nice uh, because sometimes you do want it to be a little bit higher or lower. It also has a wand, which is really great for like shaving your legs or your arms or, or, you know, like other parts of your body, which like it makes it really convenient, but being able to like, you know, adjust the head so that as you said, yeah, cause I have a lot of hair and I haven't had a haircut in a year and I need to get a haircut desperately, but my hair is now like incredibly long. And so, um, being able to uh, kind of adjust the flow, you know, so that I, it both feels good um, and, and is also able to like wash, you know, I have like a, a enough of a flow to, you know, like get enough suds and stuff in my hair so that I'm not like, you know, I'm just going to try to, no, I'm not it, it, I'm trying to see if I can make a gorilla glue girl, uh, <laughs> uh, like reference and I can't, can't it, do it. It seems to me like getting the suds in is the easy part. Rinsing them out would be yes. the part I would be concerned about. That's the thing, right? Like you want to be able to like you. Yeah, exactly. Like you want to be able to like wash it out and like you want to be able to have that angle. But it's great because it's, it's, it's this, uh, you know, like um, like rain shower kind of um, uh, like motif, which uses less water, but is incredibly, incredibly comfortable. It's one of those things like I love how it feels. It's um, a huge upgrade from the shower head that I, you know, that I had that came with my apartment and um in Grant's shower we don't have two bedrooms but we have two uh bathrooms oh nice he has like he has the upgraded uh he, like a number of years ago we bought like a 
better shower head. And like, he has that one. And I was like, all right, fine. You, you can have that one. I'm getting this one. He's very jealous. And I'm like, nope, this is my bathroom. <laughs> you have your own. Like, you don't get this one. Like, I'm super picky about shower heads. And the shower head that I replaced was, I really liked it. Like, I had very intentionally picked it out and installed it. And it, w- it had like eight different settings and and a wand and everything. And I was a little concerned that I wouldn't like this one as much. But it turns out, and I say this despite being paid, it, it's better. I like it. Yeah. And and L likes it too. Uh, that That's always the other concern when I upgrade things in our house is will I just make it worse for someone else? And L, L loves it. And it's been it's been good all around. Um, tip, I installed the wand at waist level. So it like has this magnetic kind of ball Mm -hmm. that attaches to the shower wall and then it pivots and you can like rotate it all around on that ball to point it any direction. So I found like at waist level, it gives me like extra, uh, like the shower diffuses. That's how it saves water. So by the time it gets down to about your knees, it's a little more uh, uh, diffused right. than it is up around your shoulders. So putting the wand halfway down makes it a perfect full body shower. Um, I should mention this shower head was designed by former Tesla, NASA, and Apple engineers who spent years researching and developing a superior shower experience. And the superior shower experience is is true but the fact that it saves like half of your water bill you can take showers twice as long or take the same shower for half as much money and that's that's kind of amazing also like using less water is an important thing sure uh like from an ecological standpoint yeah yeah yes for sure like i have well water which I love, like it is, I did a water test on our water just to see if there were any like contaminants or, or uh, high alkaline or anything like that. And we have perfect water, like perfect water. I love it. Um, so we don't also have a water bill, but we pay an electrical bill to run the pump. Right. So we're seeing savings on the electrical bill, which is cool. Yeah. Yeah. So our water, like, cause I'm in an apartment and I'm not sure like how it's allocated because like we have like a water bill, but it's, it's, it's like, you know, I think that it's allocated fairly evenly across the units. I'm not really quite sure if it's a usage thing or not. So, and I haven't had this installed long enough to know like what the impact um, on any of my bills would be on. But as you said, yeah, you can have a twice as long shower or like, you know, if you don't want to, because you use a lot of water, you know, when, when taking a shower. And if you are thinking about it from an ecological perspective, I like that a lot. But I just honestly, like, I'm, I'm going to be real, even aside from, like, the the saving on water thing, I just, I find it a really nice experience. Like, they call it spa-like, and I kind of rolled my eyes, I was like, yeah, sure. Right. I was like, oh, no, this actually is very much a spa-like experience. Like, it very much reminds me of, you know, when you go to, like, a, a spa and have, you know, uh, the, the shower afterwards or whatever. And, you know, or, or you're at like a high end hotel and like, it, it very much reminds me of, of, um, certain hotels that I've stayed at where yeah. I'm like, Oh, I really like that shower. And I'm like, Oh, okay. I can have this at home now. And you're right. The, the, um, 
the wand, which can be, you know, detached and you can use that for, you know, other stuff. Washing like your it, it, taint. <laughs> Let's be honest. That's what wands are for. Sure. Uh, I mean, honestly, <laughs> for, for, for me, it really is mostly like for shaving your legs. Um, but uh, it does make for a nice full body experience, as you said. Like, it really does. Um, so... I like mine a lot and it t- it took me about half an hour to install. I think they say like 18 minutes on the website. It took me about half an hour because I was wanting to be really careful because I've never installed anything like this sure. ever, but uh, I-, I could have done it faster and I was actually impressed. Like if-, if I can do this, you can. And I'm one of those people who like I can put together a computer, but <laughs> like wrenches you know what i mean like that's yeah, the stress yeah, that totally. I'm like like freaks me out i'm like I, I, I i'm like i don't even know what to do i'm calling someone yeah so you want to hear the deal we got for our listeners yeah. uh the nebia by moen shower spa it starts at 199 uh but for overtired listeners the first 100 people to use the code overtired at nebia.com will get 15 percent off all nebia products Nebia rarely does deals like this, so you should jump on this. Uh, only the first 100 people go to nebia.com slash overtired. That's N-E-B-I-A dot com slash overtired and check out what they have to offer. And uh, first 100 people save 15%. Yeah, and that's awesome. And I have to say, like, it's it's a really, really good shower head. So if you've been looking at upgrading your shower head, uh, it's this is definitely one you want to check out because I've very, very much enjoyed it. So we've, we've spent uh, equal amounts of time on eyes and Taylor Swift and sponsors. I feel like that's like our show is in three parts basically. Um, And I actually, I think we should skip talking about tech at all this week. Well, not entirely because we do have a third sponsor that is tech. So we can't entirely skip it. But I did want to say, like, I, uh, I've i been watching uh, Discovery of Witches, uh, okay. which has a new season out. Uh, I don't know if you ever got into that show, but. No, but I, but I, I, I what, what's it about? I, maybe I should it, check it out. It was a, it's from a book. Uh, it's about, a, it's a love story between a witch and a, a vampire and. It's that whole like fantasy genre that I typically don't get into, but uh, you kind of love. Well, no, like I will never love like uh, Twilight or any of that shit. But (laughs) but this this I was about to say I was like you're a secret Twilight fan, aren't you? No, Um, and I never like uh, what was that one? That's it's not Highlander. It's some Scottish time traveler. Like there's some stuff that it, it was just clearly made for people with more feminine persuasions than I have. Uh, mm-hmm. But this isn't that I, I really, I, I enjoy it. Like I'm, I'm kind of hooked on it. But anyway, at the end of one of the episodes during the credit roll, they had someone covering uh, Tori Amos, like old little earthquakes era, Tori yes! Amos. And it got me back into this whole kick. I made, a, I made a playlist that every other song alternates between K Flay and Tori Amos. It's like a totally okay. bipolar playlist. No, okay, you please have to share this because after you'd mentioned this was like months ago now, K Flay, I have I have listened and really enjoyed K Flay. So and Tori Amos is 
one of my top five female artists of she, all time. Yeah, I've, I've even seen her live, which I, I have can't to. say for her. most. Like I've seen no, Tori Amos incredible. and I've seen Florence and the Machine live. Um, and I don't usually go to that kind of show. I was no Tori's insane. I've seen her a couple of times. She plays two pianos at yeah. once. Yeah, she's awesome. But like, like Little Earthquakes though was like a formative album for me. Like that was me high school me for too. me. So I, I was in elementary school. Wait, jeez. Oh, okay, but <laughs> but we'll see. That this is the weird thing about our ages. Like we're we're not that that many years apart, but um. Like th this is like the era where when you're that young, like where you see like the differences or whatever. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, I, I was older when I discovered her. I like I'd heard some of her stuff on the radio. Uh, and then but then I was actually in high school when I discovered Little Earthquakes, Little Earthquakes. And I'd heard some of her some of her later stuff at that point, too. And yeah, Little Earthquakes is one of those just like stunning, stunning albums. Yeah. Like unreal like i was into at that point in my life i was into like the cure and nine inch nails and uh -huh. and some like some punk rock like yeah but like all of this at the same Sinead o'connor like mm -hmm. all at the same time and yeah little earthquakes like i realized when i when i put this playlist together and i was listening to it that i still knew all the words to all yeah. the songs and it was it was it was pretty cool it was pretty cool. She's unreal. Um, she has uh, released a series, like she calls them like bootlegs or whatever, from some of her tours. Uh, her last tour, unfortunately, she didn't have the bootlegs uh, for, but um, they're like official recordings of the tours. But at each one of her shows, what she does is she will do covers like from audience requests. Yeah. And so people will write stuff down and she'll pick something out. And she's like such a genuine music virtuoso that she can cover almost any song. Sure. And it's just incredible. Well, like there's parts on Little Earthquake where she like Little Earthquake where she like transitions from like sad melody into like mm -hmm. honky tonk piano and yep. she makes it work. And it's kind of amazing. No, it is. I mean, so she was like an actual child prodigy musician. Like she I think she was like five or six years old, like went to some very, very, very prestigious like music academy. And they wound up, I think, kicking her out when she was, you know, 13 or 14 because she didn't want to play classical music. Um, but, like, people recognized from the time she was, you know, I guess, like, basically, you know, could could play that she is one of those, like, once in a, in a generational talents, right? Yeah. Uh, and um, she was in a band and they had more kind of a punk thing and then she did little earthquakes which is her debut uh i guess why tori can't read or whatever was technically first but but little earthquakes is like the the one everybody knows and um when you think about how young she was when she wrote a lot of that and how good it is and as you said like the switching of genres is truly incredible have you ever seen the 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 live show that she did from the uh i think it was la mantra i can't i can't think of the name no, of it, but I'm there's just like gonna there's say like no Okay, well, there's because they've released the album, but like there, there's this performance that she has from like '91, I think, of, of her performing a lot of that stuff. Um, I'll find it and we'll put it in the show notes because it is well worth a watch or a listen to anyone, even if you think you're like not a Tori Amos person. If you like are a fan of just musicianship and craftsmanship, it's incredible to watch um, her like 
work, especially like at that stage in her life. And, um, you know, she inarguably kicked off that whole kind of like that era of like women's like women led like singer songwriters of like the nineties, you know, that led into like the little fair thing or whatever. It was like, it was like her, Ani DeFranco, you know, Sarah McLaughlin. Like that was a weird time because like this is boy band era. And like female female stars, much like Britney at the same time. Well, no, like, this was before Britney. Okay. Wait, because these both happened while I was in high school. So it wasn't before Britney by much. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't. Like they it, they had different eras. Like Tori started in like 91 and then Britney was 99. So Wait, really? Yeah. Britney was while I was in college? Yeah. That doesn't feel right. It, it's correct because I was in high school. Oh man, I did way too many drugs. It's like a nine-year gap right there, huh? Uh, okay. Yeah. So, um, but like, wait. But so when right. was when was in sync? Ninety-eight, ninety-nine. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. Oh, you just blew my mind. I know. Like, I have a. I I'm worried lately that my my meds are affecting my memory. But those memories should be pretty stable. I'm, I hope you're wrong. I I'm hope not, you're lying. Of course, I'm you're not, not right. You're fucking, no, I'm not. You're but, Christina. You're never wrong about this no, stuff. No, he, no, but, no, he, no, he, no, but, he, but I, I will give you, I, I think, kind of a bit, bit of a excuse. This is why I think you might have some confusion. Lilith Fair did take off the same time that like the boy band movement was happening those artists existed before that but like the concert series and like that whole thing was also the late 90s wow wow for but, so- like Lana Morissette who was later stage like she was arguably she and Fiona Apple were arguably at the end of kind of that era if we're being honest like um th- that was 95 for Alanis and 96 for Fiona i i so if I had to choose between Fiona Apple and Alanis Morissette, like now, Fiona now is, is Fiona, of course. But if we're being completely real, Jagged Little Pill is one of the greatest albums of all time. Really? Yeah. I didn't like it then, and I like it less now. Interesting. See, that I think might be the product of time thing because I was like twelve, and that is like the perfect twelve-year-old girl, like angst, ennui, like everything See, that was one of the things for me one of the things that shaped my opinions of certain music was who was into it and i certainly wasn't going to be into music that 12 year old girls liked 100 100 (laughs) anything anything that was too popular with people that i didn't think were cool i just automatically panned didn't even give it a chance no, I mean, which is which is why, yeah, I, I can totally see that, and and we've all had those phases, and and um, that was like why I was like a very like hidden Max Martin fan uh, for such a long time, and of course he's the uh, songwriter behind all the boy band and Britney Spears and and songs and whatnot, and like I liked those pop songs, but I was never gonna admit that. Like I, I wanted to to like you know in high school like feel like I liked the you know, more artsy and, and, um, although it was still mainstream, so it's hardly, uh, whatever, but you know, I, I was in my kind of more indie kind of, no, I wasn't in my indie lo-fi phase yet, I guess it was, it was more alternative rock, but yeah, you know, that's a very common thing, but, um, 
I mean, Alanis was was 19 when Jagged Little Pill came out. I think Fiona was 18 when um, um, her first album came out. So they were young, right? But it's interesting because a lot of times I do kind of compare Little Earthquakes to Jagged Little Pill because they're both angry but in different ways. And although um, Jagged Little Pill is the far more commercial record, which is evidenced by the fact that it sold something like 27 million copies or whatever – you know, it's it's indisputable that Little Earthquake and, and Tori was only a few years older um, when when that came out. Um, it's like indisputable that that is like the much more artistic like album. Do you remember Boris the Sprinkler? Do you no, rem- I don't. Do you remember the Quincy Punks? No. These, these, no idea. These were the bands that I eat a bowl of fuck by the Quincy Punks. That was that was like 1999 for me. Okay. Uh, Drugs and Masturbation by Boris the Sprinkler. This is what this is what I understood. Uh, I I don't know anything about any of the the pop music from that era. Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, well, it was the pop of that era was all the boy bands. Uh, the rock of that era was like because alternative rock was was pretty big, and oh. and harder rock was was slightly bigger. So you had like you had good the bands like Corn and. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was too I cool for corn. Of course you were. Of course you were. But, <laughs> yeah. but I'm just. But you had things like that. I I recently I found it on an old playlist because I was going through old mini discs, which is a whole other thing. And I found like Buck Sherry, and I was like, oh yeah, I remember Buck Sherry. <laughs> um, do you do you, do you ever get into Underworld? No. Uh, like Dark and Long and Cowgirl, like those. That was as close to pop. There was an album. Uh, I don't remember what year, but it it was, I'm pretty sure it came out somewhere between 96 and 2000 called, uh, it was a, a group called the 18s and oh, it yeah, was an yeah, album, they, Swedish. it was an album of entirely ABBA covers. Yeah. Or, yeah, or yeah, ABBA. No, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, no. I remember, I remember 18s cause they had a TV show. Um, they were like a, an <laughs> ABBA tribute band or whatever. I, um, I loved that shit. I had I my girlfriend and I had this whole like synchronized dance. Oh, to, that's awesome. To like I don't know, Mama Mia or or Boulevu or something. And like that stuff was fun. I used to go. There's this club in Minneapolis you may be familiar with from Purple Rain called. Uh, oh, my God. Well, I, well, I just blanked on the name of the club. Huh. First Avenue. Um I used to go to First Avenue for their 241 dance nights. Uh, it was the numbers 241, but the drinks were also two for one. Um, and they would play Underworld and then occasionally just as a as a joke, they would throw in ABBA covers and like I love to dance. Uh, yeah. Like that well, was well, fun. Here, well, here's what's hilarious about that to me. OK, so and I was wrong. The 18s didn't have um, a TV show. That was S Club 7. But I remember <laughs> but I remember the 18s very well because they were like the uh, a cover thing and like you had aqua who did like the barbie girl song right. and stuff like that yeah but like okay but that's swedish pop right yeah. and and the all the boy band stuff is all the product of um um Shernan, uh, uh records which was max martin and um i i can't think of the guy's name right now he, he died of, of cancer um fairly um early into like the rise of the boy band thing but that was all of their stuff and they got their start with what was our generation's ABBA to a lesser extent, which was um, Ace of Base. <laughs> I remember Ace of Base. Yeah, well, Ace of Base was huge, but but it, it's just funny 
there's a great book, uh, genuinely, that you should listen to because the audiobook is really good. But there's also uh, a Kindle version. So this is a free suggestion for anybody out there. And it's called The Song Machine. And it's by John Seabrook, who is a staff writer at The New Yorker. And it is, it's, um, it's about seven years old now, but, um, and so some of the stuff isn't completely up to date in terms of how modern songs are written, but it's kind of a, a look at like the machine of like how the same kind of group of people have been responsible for making and, and, and teams have been responsible in different eras of making, like being responsible for popular music. And it's really interesting to kind of look at like the the Swedish influence on pop in general because it's massive, like it's massive. Uh, and uh, but it's it's an, it's amazing to me. I love this about you. Like you reject any of the boy band stuff, and I understand why. It's not cool. It's it's <laughs> definitely you know like the dance moves, whatever, horrible. Like I get all that, but yet you loved the eighteens, and I think you loved it because you like to dance, and also you like the kitsch element, and you're yeah, like, totally. oh, this is, and you're like, this is an ironic kind of thing, yeah. right? Yeah, and I get it's it. Almost it's almost like, anti-pop. One hundred percent, and 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 I get it because like I liked Aqua who did the the Barbie yeah, girl yeah, yeah. song for the same reason. Like, A, I thought that music video was great. B, the song was really clever. Like, I totally get it. Like, it wasn't earnest in its thing, but it's just good. It's kind of like, a, what was the what was the movie that uh, Rachel McAdams and Will Ferrell were in? The, the um, Euro... Um, um, oh, uh, yeah. What was that? Yeah. I forget what that was called, but that was, that was hilarious. I remember But it was that. great, and the music was good, right? And, like, yeah. Eurovision is awesome because it's kitsch like it's 100% kitsch uh but it's always the nordic countries that do really well um in that right like always yeah because that's why is that though I, it's really interesting i'm not they sure. also make some of the best metal yeah comes out of yeah. nordic countries yeah they how, do how, and- do, how does the same place produce like really good pop and really good metal well and here's what's really messed up a lot of them are connected. So the guy who started the the record label or the studio or whatever, where Max Martin and and his whole ilk came up, was like a long haired, like heavy metal guy, and it just turned out that he had a real ear for being able to do these kind of catchy pop tune melodies. Huh. Which is is such a weird dichotomy, right? But you're right, it is. Like they have the great, like incredibly heavy metal, but also this pop stuff. And I have no idea why. Um, but uh maybe there's something in the water. I don't know. <laughs> like there it's has that, to be, right? That cool, fresh Nordic water. Speaking there of has to be. today's <laughs> today's spo is brought to you by Fuji. No, exactly. That's not true. Do you, can you true. stomach one more sponsor? Of course we can, because we're brought to because it's text expander who we love. Just to prove we're still a tech show. Absolutely. We're going to have a tech sponsor. So there's this app for Mac, actually for Mac and Windows and iOS. Um, yep. But and I, there's a web version. Is there really? Good to know. Um, it's called Text Expander, and it it lets you, uh, it prevents you from repeating yourself and typing things over and over by storing snippets of text as long as they need to be and triggering them with just short uh, abbreviations. So like for me, if I, t- if I 
and and you can get like complicated with it and you can write scripts yep. scripts which are awesome yep. right so for me if someone needs a cross-grade license for mark if they're using the mac app store version and sandboxing is preventing them from doing something advanced with it i can type in an email response i type comma comma m-l-i-c and then i hit the space bar and it goes out it gets them uh, it uses the paddle api gets them uh, a new serial number and writes the entire email for me all i have to do is fill in the name and and it's done and it saves me every time i use that snippet it saves me probably 10 minutes of time okay five yeah. minutes but still i use it pretty frequently i like i could not live without text expander no i couldn't either and i um so obviously this isn't the thing that i have to do super regularly now although i do still have to do when i do presentations and conferences we're doing it remotely i still use it but one of the ways i really love to use like the scripting ability and other stuff would be so when I was doing Microsoft Ignite the tour, um, one of the demos that I would do, because I would do like it, the the first year it was an hour, the second year it was 45 minutes. I was doing like this jam-packed presentation on Azure fundamentals. And like there's so much stuff that you're going through there. And one of the things that I would be doing would be kind of like a CLI demo. And um, although I like know the commands, it's one of those things where when you're typing it into a box live, uh, you know, you could get something wrong. You don't want to like run into an issue where you might create a VM the wrong way or whatever. Totally. And so I like had a text expander snippet to just insert in not just the commands I needed, but the more important thing was I had a dummy SSH key created so that when I was going through the portal of creating my SSH key, it would insert it every time. Nice. And, and it was great and it saved a ton of time. I ran into an issue, but I was sort of saved because there's a, a Chrome version um, uh, that, that had fortunately come out by the time I needed this, where my main laptop was not working. And so I had to use someone else's. And then the issue is I'm like, well, shit, like, what am I going to do? Because I don't have my snippets. Like, if I don't have that, like, I don't have like my SSH key and, right. and, you know, like, what am I going to do? So, but because there's, it, you know, works in Chrome, like I was able to, you know, bring that in and kind of sync it over uh, and, and do it, which is really nice. But like you said on, on Mac OS, you know, you can use it with Apple scripts, you can have it call other scripts too, but it's also cross-platform. And so the same um, like plain text stuff, or uh, I guess if you were using JavaScript or something, sort yeah. of scripting the, will work. The JavaScript well. for automation stuff does work on iOS as well, which is awesome. Um, you can also, uh, in, in addition to just having, you know, uh, your, re your repetitive text taken care of uh, and, and taken care of consistently without spelling errors, you can also personalize it by sticking in uh, fill-ins, which let you, when you trigger the snippet, it pops up and it asks you to fill in a couple of fields and you can define what fields and what dropdowns are in this, in this pop-up. And then it customizes your snippet for you. So you're not sending the exact same thing to everybody and can make it very personalized. Um, so, as uh, as a special uh, bonus for overtired listeners, you can get twenty percent off your first year of Text Expander by going to textexpander.com slash podcast, and you'll learn everything you need to know about it, and you'll save twenty percent. So, I cannot highly enough recommend you go check this out. Yeah, plus one on this, like genuinely. Uh, we thank thank them for sponsoring our show, but also this is one of those apps that I've paid for for years, 
and uh, that I love. And I would talk about them even if they weren't paying me. So would I. So would I genuinely like people are always wanting to know, like, one of my top five Mac apps like this is always in my list because it's one of those that I don't know what to do without it. To the point that, like I said, I was like installing that Chrome extension <laughs> so that I could like use it in a demo because I was like, I I don't know like what my commands are for certain things because I just have it so highly automated, you know. Speaking of top five Mac apps, we don't have time to get to it, but we're definitely next week going to talk about how weird it is that GQ magazine put out like their list of indispensable Mac apps and they oh, were actually good. good. No, I was looking at this now. Now, I, I think I think in fairness, this this is this is slightly important to say this was GQ UK. And the reason I say that is that I don't know, like, that's like the difference between unfair. Teen Vogue and Vogue. Yeah, I kind of like I'm kind of feeling like the, well, the, the UK people are better. Maybe I don't know, although it's still Condé Nast, actually. So they didn't well, like it. But I mean, like a good PC list. magazine has put out lists like this that were yeah. wrong. Oh, so much worse. They're just wrong. No. Like they picked the yeah. wrong apps. No, well, this is what was shocking to me. I was like looking through this list and I was like, there is nothing on this list that I disagree with right. for having an inclusion. Like maybe there would be some apps that I would like put in place of others, but, but there's they nothing included on this Moom. List like Moom is Moom. awesome for window management and no one ever mentions it in the larger publications. Like that's awesome. I agree. They, they mentioned Solver. Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> which is like Solver. Solver is like not an app people know. Uh, Net Newswire, which is back and which, right. again, like the major publications don't even mention. Um, yeah. No, this is like a fantastic list. Uh, Hazel also. Right. Not mentioned. Better and touch an, tool. Yeah. Like the whole list. This is genuinely like we could have written this list and and no one would have blinked an eye. They've been like, yeah. That's that's right. what actual Mac. Actually, right. I think I have written that list. Maybe they read yeah. my blog. Clearly. Well, no, I mean, this is what was impressive to me about it, because like I've been in the and, and I know we're going long, but I'll, I'll go on a tangent here. Like I've been in, you know, the content creation game as of you. But I worked at like mainstream publications and especially a, a place like Mashable, which is very mainstream. And although I'm incredibly proud of the work that I did there and I look back in retrospect and I'm like, Holy shit, I got some nerdy, nerdy ass (laughs) shit in Mashable. And I did. And I'm like shocked. Like in retrospect, I look back, I'm like, how in the hell did I convince people to let me do that? And then I think back, I'm like, oh yeah, there were battles and and it was hard for sometimes. But like I, and I'm, you know, nothing if not persistent, but like, you know, we would have stuff that was, um, and and this is how I personally gained credit gained credibility, if not the whole publication itself, um, because it didn't continue after I left. But like, you know, I I would, you know, really try to have really good stuff, but it was not the sort of content you would expect if you're thinking like a Mashable. And so I look at something like this, and I'm like, I know how these games work. And like, this is something that somebody's assigned, because it's going to rank well in SEO, somebody's going to be searching, you know, best Mac apps, and they want to show up in the results. They want to like uh, juice it. I, I get it. So it's, it's one of those evergreen sort of utility posts. Nothing wrong with it. The thing is how most of the time it works is that you assign something like this and the writer usually doesn't know a lot about the subject area because they're usually an intern or they're a junior writer. And so they just start Googling other lists right. and they rewrite from those lists. 
And usually you see the same kind of hodgepodge of, let's be honest, like not great applications listed. And that's because the lists that rank well are usually designed by companies who are trying to sell those apps. Right. Um, and that can afford than, can afford all the SEO tricks. Exactly. Rather than people who've actually used it. So I look at this list and I'm like, this is not that, right? Like, like Solver and Moom are not part of those things better touch tool like fantastic out like this is this is definitely from somebody who i like it read reads to me is like somebody who's actually used these and was like this is my own workflow yeah which i appreciate but was shocked by because it's in gq yeah which who knew right it's cool stuff all right yeah. so we did talk about it we did talk about it sorry we fit it uh, in we, and we now we're along. we're still a tech show we are still a tech we show. We can talk about Taylor Swift and Tori Amos and still be a tech show. That's we've proved we have proved that we can be both. We have multitudes. Also, uh, make sure you put your playlist in for um my BPD your, playlist. That's what it's called. Yeah. BPD. You're, yeah. I mean, if you're if you're willing to, you, you can copy it and share it to another thing if that's what you if you don't want to share the actual one, but I, I want to listen to I, I would be curious if you made a playlist called OCD, what would be on it? Make a playlist called OCD and make a, make a playlist that fits your own personal disorder. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, totally. Well, mine would just be like depressed. Depression. Um, it'd be good. But no, actually, that's not a bad. That's a good idea. I love playlists. <laughs> I love making playlists so much. I've been working on one for my friend Ricky for months, and um, I, I owe it to them. And, and uh, Ricky, I'm sorry that it's delayed, but I will get it to you. Uh, but Because um, I made like a really good one after Folklore came out. Uh, but before Evermore did, where it was all songs that like were that mood because somebody wanted somebody who was like not a Taylor Swift fan who became a Taylor Swift fan after Folklore was like, I want to listen to more stuff like this. And so it's really Taylor Swift heavy, but it also has some other things on it. It actually has some Elliot Smith on it uh, nice. and uh, and some Tori Amos, actually. <laughs> nice. So maybe you should uh, share that one. Actually, I will. I was going to say I'm going to pull that up. Yeah, uh, right send me now. a link. I, I will I will put that in in the quip document, but uh, I'll, I'll have it on Apple Music and on um, Spotify uh, because I'm one of those people. Are you you're a Spotify person, yeah, right? Totally. Yeah. Um. So, but yeah, I I love making playlists. That's one of my favorite things. So weirdly, I don't know if I have an OCD playlist, except the art of making a playlist itself for me is a very OCD. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're all OCDs. Totally. Well, no, because the whole thing is like, I want stuff usually to fit like a mood and a progression. And like when I I used to make lists for my playlists for my mom and CDs for her all the time for like Mother's Day or her birthday or whatever. And, you know, would often try to like, like I made her like a one one year, which was one of my better ones. Actually, it was all of music I knew that she would like, but like was new music stuff that she would never hear on the radio or anything. And like I, I opened and closed it with the same song, but it was performed like by different people. <laughs> um, you know, that's the sort of OCD shit that I'll do, you know, yeah. to try to like have like the, the you know, bookends of, of something. Yeah. All right. Well, I hope your your eye fully recovers and thank you. It continues to be healthy after that. Yeah, thank you. And, and honestly, I'm just glad like I never thought that my laziness and not getting my like because because here's the thing, my prescription and I, I had ordered contacts beforehand, but it, I, I clearly hadn't ordered enough. If I had say ordered like six months worth of contacts in December, sure. which I should have, I it, it would have been 
um, another year before I went to the eye doctor. Yeah. And hey, maybe nothing would have happened, but um, in the, in retrospect, I'm like super glad that my uh, like laziness forced me to have an emergency appointment at a Costco. Yet another tale of laziness paying off. Right? It's a long list. It is. All right. Well, Christina, get some sleep. Get some sleep, Red. The system is going down low.